continue today in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, to begin the message. We have been preaching from the book of Genesis for several weeks and have been laying some foundations on the role of men and women. We have talked about the Godhead, the relationship of the Godhead, and today we're going to take it a little bit farther and build on that as we talk about how the relationship between God and mankind was ruptured. It's often referred to as the fall of man, and I want to lay just a little bit of foundation before we get into the substance of the message so that we understand some things. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, and it should be up on the screen, uh, so you can follow there if you don't have a, word, a Bible with you. But Genesis 1, 27 through 31, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, having given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, so it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to every thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God created mankind, male and female. Told them to be fruitful and multiply. Mankind has dominion every, over every green herb, over, over the earth, and every green herb is for food. Now, once we get to, if you read on to Noah and the flood, then meat, we start eating meat as well. So I don't want you to get hung up on that. It's all right for us to eat salad and a pork chop. But God said it was good. It was very good. And if we move on to Genesis 2, 15 through 17, Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17. We read there, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it, to cultivate it, basically, and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God places man in the garden even to tend, to cultivate and keep it. I want you to let you know that work existed before the fall. Work existed before sin. God created. God then on the seventh day ceased from his work, but God created, included in our activity was work. Now sin made it harder, and we'll find out that shortly, but when he said it was good, it's work was there, even before sin entered the world. But he made it clear 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So that's our foundation. We have a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. We know they're to be husband and wife, to have children, to multiply the earth. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3. And this is when sin enters the world. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And then we'll expound a little bit on that. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the tree, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, for you shall, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of it and its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they shoved fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. May God have his blessing to the reading of his word. The rules have been established. Eve knew the rules because she repeats the rules. She's inquired of by the Satan, basically tempting her, and says, Satan says, you know, you're not going to really die. Satan starts out by taking what God says is true and calls it false. Satan lies. He causes confusion. You notice that he didn't say, hey, it says of the fruit of the knowledge of the true fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know what that fruit is. Sometimes we say it's an apple. It may or may not have been an apple, but it was a piece of fruit. But if it's like an apple, Satan didn't start out saying, Don't eat the apple. He started out by saying, God told you a lie. He started out by making her question God. He started to entice her of, about some different things that might entice her. She allowed Satan to continue to be deceptive and to challenge God's truth. 
That's when we have to be careful when we start to challenge God's truth. People today are challenging God's truth, and it's the beginning of submitting to sin and temptation. Eve begins to weigh the benefits of between what God said versus these other benefits that she would be able to have the knowledge of good and evil. And it looks good to eat, and it's... Uh, It looks nice. It might be beneficial. And so she weighs these benefits. And it might be that Satan is tempting you to do something, and you might say, oh, it's just a little thing. You might be thinking, boy, if I eat of this fruit... Just think of all the benefits. It's just a little thing. Be careful when God tells you not to do something and Satan says, oh, God didn't really mean it that way. It's just a little thing. It's just one drink. It's just one puff. It's just one pill. It's just one kiss. Oh, it's just a little thing. But if God said no, it's more than a little thing. So she weighs the benefits to what God has said is wrong. She minimizes the sin. In verse 6 it said, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband, gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So she ate it, and then she led her husband in sin. She ate it, and then she led her husband in sin, and he followed. She, she could have went like this and handed it to him, said, here. And he could have said no. He didn't. He followed her into sin. She led him into sin, and he followed. It's a curious thing. He leads. She leads, and he follows. In verse 8 it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now we have to make some assumption that this was God's practice, that the Lord God would come and walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine having that kind of fellowship with God that, God would come and want to take a walk, have fellowship with you. Remember, God is relational. The Godhead, Father, God, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're relational. They want a re relationship with you, and you, we want you to have a relationship with them, and 
relationship with others. But can you imagine having the ability for that fellowship and then breaking that relationship? Breaking that relationship over a fruit. It was just a little thing. Just a little thing. Remember, God talks about in Scripture about it in marital terms. So maybe we can relate to it in those kinds of terms that God basically must have felt betrayal. Because they severed the relationship over an apple, over a fruit, over her desire to be greater than God, or equal with God, I should say, in the knowledge of good and evil. Eve had put herself above God's command, and Adam, doing the same, had... Eve had more influence over Adam than God did. Because he followed Eve instead of following God. Can you imagine in a, being in a relationship with someone and they place you second over someone else? They basically cheat on you? They don't have time for you, but they have time for somebody else? Adam basically allowed Eve to influencing more than what he allowed God to. God asked Adam, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? God told you not? Adam blames Eve, the woman that you gave me, God. So in a way, Adam blames it's her fault. But is he also then blaming God because it's the woman you gave me? So God, it's your fault. Wow. It's a lot of arrogance. And Eve blames the serpent. And what happens? Well, death enters the world. It all goes back to that. Remember, Eve led Adam into sin, and Adam followed. God says, okay, we'll skip over what happened to the serpent. But we will pick up at verse 15, uh, 15 of chapter 3. And I will put enmity, this is God speaking, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's a prophecy. We're not going to go into that right now. To the woman, he says in verse 16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. In pain. I greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth 
children. When Eve sinned, a lot happened, including the difficulties of childbirth. I did a little bit of research, but I've had other people comment on it. Have you ever went through a, maybe you've been to a dairy farm or an animal farm, and sometimes it can, there can be difficulties. But sometimes I wonder, do animals seem the same level of pain that a woman sees when she gives birth? And maybe this is why. And all the challenges a woman goes through, from a reproductive standpoint, the sorrow in your conception and all those things. Since it's all so very interesting that she led the man into sin and God reversed the roles on following and leading. And see, work, verse 17 through 20, he speaks to the man. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, because you listen to your wife more than me. If you have any question who should be first place in your life, is it your spouse or if it's God, it's God. God's first. You follow God. You want a relationship with someone that strengthens and draws you towards God in your time of weakness. It says, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. They're going to try to pull you away from God instead of towards God. You want to be drawn towards God. When one's weak, the other's strong. It's kind of like when my wife and I go grocery shopping. I have certain aisles I like to buy things in, and it's really bad to go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? And I seem to be hungry frequently. But she'll be like, do you really need that? Do you really need that? Now, there's other times when I might say to her, do you really need that? But see, we're both trying to go towards the better. And when I'm at the auction, we go to the auction, some of us men, on, on, on the first Saturday of the month. And my mind is, when I bring that home, she might say, do you really need that? But see, that's how we work together. Drawing us towards the better. But see, if we're unequally yoked with a young unbeliever, we're going to draw away. Now, some of you have become Christians after you've been married. So you need to be that light drawing them towards God. So we look here, we're in the garden. But... I think I left off with, we was talking about Adam in verse 17. Because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eat, eaten from the tree of which I command you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Death enters. We will lose some of the enjoyment of work. 
You know, it can be enjoyable to work. There's things that you enjoy. But work can become labor, too, can it? And laborious. But this is sin has come into the world. And the relationship has been severed. It's a problem between now it will require, we know that sin entered the world and the answer for sin is Christ. Jesus Christ had to be sacrificed for our sin. And you know, Christ, who sees the church as his bride, must die for it. He has to atone for the sin. He has to make the sacrifice. This Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is against the Godhead who created it. Mankind has sinned. They've went back against God who created it. God who wanted the relationship. Against Him have they sinned. And this same Godhead that desires the relationship makes a sacrifice for us to redeem it. I want you to think about that. In a relationship, there is no way to reconcile a relationship unless the offended party agrees to it. They've got to accept your apology or you're not going to be reconciled. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to reconcile and accept the, the way the reconciliation takes place is agreeable to them. They might say, you want to reconcile to someone that you've injured? You say, well, you need to apologize. You'll say, well, I don't want to apologize. Well, then you don't want to reconcile. You might come up with other ways to try to make it right. But it's not going to be made right until you've answered what they expect to make it right. Until they accept the terms. Because you can say, I want to be reconciled, and ta-da, you're reconciled? Doesn't work that way, not in a relationship. Can you imagine a man cheating on a woman? And then say to her that he doesn't need to apologize. You just got to get over it. You don't reconcile a relationship that way. Can you remember a woman cheating on her husband, but not wanting to give up her other lovers? She don't want to change. She wants, it could be reversed, right? He wants to keep all his women and wants you to be okay with it. You're not going to be reconciled in a relationship unless he comes to you on your terms. And maybe you're the one that offended or did something wrong. You're going to like, well, you should accept me because I'm a good person. And I treat you well all the other time. And I provide for this, or I do that, so you're going to have to let this one go. Well, that doesn't work right. 
doesn't work well. Can you imagine that? To say, listen, I'm not going to change. What's change? What's another word for change? It means We use the word in the Bible that talks about repent. It means change. So if somebody was cheating on you and they says, I'm going to keep cheating on you, but I want you to be okay with that, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. But yet we want to tell God the way to heal the relationship. We want to tell God that we're good enough. We want to tell God that we have a better way back to the relationship. And we want to tell God that we don't need to change. We don't need to repent. God says, I want you to stop getting drunk. I don't have to. Yeah, you do. He's God. These are his terms. It's like we said last week, you can't expect. You know, if you go over to somebody's house you don't even know and says, listen, you should let me in your house. I don't know who you are, but you should let me in because I'm a good person. We want to go to heaven because we're a good person, but it's God's house, and we don't have a relationship with him. He says we need to repent, we need to stop. Eve wanted to be like God to know good and evil. And we want to tell God, listen, God, you're not in charge of me. Who's God? You? See, when we, we think about it, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the way. There is no other way. Telling God how to reconcile the situation. He's provided a way. He sacrificed his life for us. Can you imagine that being in a relationship with someone? And you make the sacrifice to reconcile to them? And they say... Sorry, I'm not going to accept it. It says, I am the way, the truth of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is not another way. There's only one way. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus. The one that created us, the one that desires relationship, the one that you... When we hurt by sinning, sacrifice to reconcile that. What an act of love. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having someone cheat on you
Then have you extend an olive branch. Extend forgiveness. And then have them reject you. That's what we do with Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins and says, I love you. I'm dying for you. And you reject it. Say, I don't have to do it that way. I deserve for you to forgive me because I'm a good person. I deserve it. And I'm not going to change. I'm not going to repent because I'm good enough because I said so. And God says at some point, no, you're not. There's only one way. Can't go through Buddha. Can't go through Hindu. Can't go through Muhammad. Only through Jesus. He declares the condition of the reconciliation. He is the one that's offended. He is the one that sins, sinned against. You want to reconcile with Jesus? You have to go through the sacrifice that he provides. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that each one here might be reminded that there's just one way. And we are thankful for the grace that you provided that we can utilize the gift that you have given us for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that we can accept you and you can help us to change our lives. Lord, we desire to be in fellowship with you. We desire to be who you want us to be. And Lord, if there be those here that are living in sin, that are trying to find another way, Maybe they want to be in a relationship with you, but they don't want to change. They don't want to repent. Lord, help them to see that's not the way. The way's through you. You desire our hearts. May we make you first place and leave you there. May we not undermine or allow Satan to undermine your truth in our hearts, and then say, oh, it's a little thing, to do the things that you told us not to do. Oh, it's a little thing. No, Lord, it's a big thing. Help us to be open to your direction, to be refreshed and excited in that we've walked the way that you've asked us the way, and we can look Forward to heaven, but Father, may those that are not following the way realize it's heaven or hell. And may they choose you and choose heaven. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.